Uh, I will read from the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, inspired by the Spirit, which by extension is written to us, and then we'll dig in. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that, from, uh, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, you are the king of all things. This creation, every atom and molecule and piece of this creation is in your sovereign hand. We are sinners saved by your grace and your mercy. May we never forget the lostness that we experienced the fate we ultimately deserve, and your grace and mercy extended to people who simply do not deserve it. That it's not just that you called us uh, one time for one thing, but you called us for a purpose, for your glory to enjoy you and rejoice in you and to make much of your name in this world. You've called us to live in the reality of the gospel as a people who display that gospel to this city for your glory, for our joy, and to the ends of the earth. Help us, Jesus, to live a life worthy of the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. So we're here, uh, we're in Philippians. Uh, this is a letter that Paul writes from prison to a church that he loves dearly. That he loves dearly. And at the center of this text is we've been working through the New Testament that we could know the core of what each of the books of the New Testament so that you can better and better own the Bible for yourself. We come to Philippians. Uh, it was the reading of Philippians repeatedly while we were going through our own family trials and struggles that made me even think that we should do a sermon series such as this one. Uh, that You would know that this is your Bible. Well, technically, this is my Bible, but your Bible is your Bible. And your Bible is the Word of God. And when you open the Bible, the Spirit of God illumines the reality of these words to you that you could know God and who He is. This is yours. It is a gift to you. It is a gift to us. Paul wrote this to a church 2,000 years ago. It's been preserved. It's in your hand. And God is not just, has not just said things in the past to the church in Philippi, but is saying things to us now through this text. 
I think at the, the core of what Paul is getting at with his letter is the reality that we are called to live a life worthy of the good news of Jesus, worthy of the good news that God himself, the second member of, uh, uh, of the Trinity, came to save sinners like us for a grace and a mercy and a life like his, and we don't deserve any of it, and that should change. Yes, somebody's excited. That should change everything about the way we live. Every facet, every breath we take should be saturated in this reality that we are covered in his grace and his mercy. That reality makes us light in the darkness. That makes our church a light in the darkness. And this is a dark city. And Paul is writing to people in a dark city. He's writing from a prison, a Roman prison. This is a Roman prison. It is not an American prison. An American prison, they're at least supposed to give you food and have some kind of power on in the building. A Roman prison is a pit where if your friends don't come and bring you food, you will not eat. Now, of course, if you're a Christian in Rome, as the persecution's kicking up, if you go and feed the guy who's in jail for being a Christian, they might think you're a Christian. They might throw you in the pit, too. What's amazing about this letter written from prison. There are things that just, it's just saturated with several things. One is the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That a man sitting in a hole can proclaim the kingship and the lordship of Jesus and his mercy and his grace. And from that place, earnestly and sincerely enjoy that king. And so it's this man who's sitting in this hole who writes this letter to this people. And he says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Here's the amazing thing about the first several centuries of Christian persecution. Do you know how you get out of the jail and the pit and the hole for being a Christian? You just say you don't love Jesus and they let you go. You burn a little incense to another god. You kowtow to the gods of the day. And you just get to go home. You get let out. And you're not in a pit anymore. This pastor from this pit is writing to this church in Philippi and says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You're crazy, Paul. You're crazy unless Jesus rose from the dead. You're crazy unless you actually believe the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside. You're crazy unless you think Jesus is coming to put this world back the way it's supposed to be. You're crazy unless you believe the kingdom is now and the kingdom is coming. You're crazy, Paul. Paul's crazy if those things aren't true. Why in the world would he tell them to do the same thing? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Here's our problem. I try and keep Greek syntax out of the pulpit, but I have to do it this one time. Well, maybe more times. But this one time I'm going to do it. So you see this word, if you look down in your Bible? Nothing keeps a preacher honest than a church with their Bibles open when he's preaching. And so I love it when you can look down and see it. See this word, manner of life? That's a noun. That's a thing. That's a naming thing, right? It's a naming thing. You don't need to know what a noun is. It's a thing, right? It's a person, place, or thing. In Greek, it's a verb. It's an action. The living of the manner of life. And this word is a particular word. And in fact, if you're in an ESV like me, if you look down, you're going to see a footnote. 
You might have a little one next to it. Do you see that? And down below it says Greek, only behave as citizens worthy. This verb has the word, uh, the, the same place where we get the word politics. Uh, a, Roman, uh, a Roman or Greek city was a polis. Uh, there were other cities around, but fancy Roman or Greek cities are called polis, uh, a city, a citizen, uh, all the politics kind of stuff go with it. So he's saying, live as people worthy, uh, uh, citizens of the gospel. Subversive. He's in a pit, in a hole, in Rome, or somewhere, we're not really sure where. And he says, don't live as faithful Romans, live as faithful Christians who are citizens of another kingdom, of another message, of another truth, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let the way that you live and do life be reflective of the fact that you've been saved by grace, by God who died on a cross and rose from the dead. It's not just one little part of your life. It's not the moment we do the altar call or, or maybe you read the Bible and you say, I'm in, or you hear the sermon preached and you say, I'm in, uh, but it's our entire and complete manner of life. He's calling us, you and me, to live a life worthy of the gospel. To live a life worthy of the gospel. Only let your manner of life, your life and lifestyle, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now hear why he says this. Hear the loving, pastoral, fatherly words of Paul. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what a church is supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to be with other Christians who aren't necessarily in our church. We stand side by side on this firm foundation that is the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his gospel. Stand side by side in this. We do this as Christians in two ways, as we're standing side by side for this faith. We stand side by side to help each other live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Right? We stand side by side with each other to love each other, to take care of each other, to help each other, to tell each other the gospel, to tell the truth to each other, to, to just reach out when you know someone's suffering and say, I'm praying for you right now. I, I don't have any advice for you, but I will sit with you and I will pray with you and I will cry with you. Or, hey, I heard awesome stuff happen in your life. Yeah! Praise the Lord. We're standing side by side, but we're standing side by side in this faith. And we're building each other up in the faith and the reality of Jesus. Because we don't think that we are people who have been given a book that we must try and fit into 2016. This is not a truth or a teaching that I'm going to try and fit into my modern life. I come to this text, I see what the Bible has said, and I'm trying to fit my life into this text. I'm trying to find, fit my life into this gospel, into this story, and this reality that God is redeeming all things. That is the point of my life as a Christian. And it turns out that is actually more complicated than one would think. There are plenty of questions that this book, this Bible, the Word of God, can clearly and straightforwardly answer for us, and there's others that it simply cannot. In a straightforward way. That doesn't mean the answer's not there, and there's no gray area with God. Okay? It's called systematics, is the fancy word, where we look at it and they say, I have a problem, how do I solve it? 
What do I do? What do I do here? Uh, you know, somebody sideswipe somebody from church sideswiped my car. What do I do about it? Well, I can't tell you what auto shop to go to because that's not here. But I know a lot about conflict and staying side by side. Now you prefer one another, love one another, make things right. There's a lot in here that can inform how we deal with that. Any number of other situations. But we're standing side by side in the gospel for the purpose of building each other up in the gospel. For the reality of Jesus to continue to, 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 to break up the nonsense of our life and the stuff that has to go that is opposed to the reality of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what we do. That's, that's why we do church membership. Membership is to say that you're taking responsibility for people and the people are taking responsibility for you. So it is to be part of a church. But that's not the only thing we do. We have, a, we, have a, we have a job. It's not our mission. It's his mission, capital H, lowercase i-s. His mission, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be lights in the darkness, to carry the message of Jesus from here to the ends of the earth. And to live in such a way that reflects that we are actually living in a different reality. We're in the same reality. It's, it's not like uh, alternate universes, but it might as well be at some point in time. Because I understand that the God of the universe made everything good, that human beings broke it, that he made a promise to fix it by sending his son, that I'm redeemed from my sin by the cross of Jesus Christ, that a man rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and I'm seated with him positionally uh, in that kingdom, and that kingdom is now and breaking forth right now as we speak. The kingdom of God is breaking forth. It's now and it's coming. That is a different reality that we live in. And, and we help one another as we navigate. How do I take this old man off and put the new man on? How do I live as this person who was in this one kingdom, now lives in this other kingdom? And it actually, you actually need people to help you do that. You can get a lot out of reading your Bible on your own. Please, please read your Bible on your own. But man, is it helpful to show up at 8 a.m., pardon me, 8 a.m., 6 a.m., uh, at the coffee shop and dig into Zechariah and have other people show you what they, they're seeing and what God's showing to them. And it sure is helpful to, to, to just come and hear the preached word. The preached word of God is the center of our church service as we gather together, not because I actually really think I'm that great, believe it or not. You get up in front and you stand and you preach. And oftentimes when you're done preaching, the guys who are in the room who have done this uh, can attest to this. And you often think more about the things you wish you had said or that you forgot to say or the way that you just, your volume was just at like 11 and you wish it had been like 6. But Jesus is so exciting, so maybe it should be at 11, right? Whatever that might be. It's not to showcase Eric or myself or Lenny or Joe and the guys that shared the pulpit. It is to showcase the truth of Jesus Christ and be reminded together as the people of God who Jesus is that we might live for his glory as the people of God. That's why the preaching is at the center of our gatherings, at the center of our community groups, and the center of everything we do is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word. Because we're here, right? We're here. I am, uh, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in what? That gospel of Jesus Christ you already mentioned. And, and not, oh man, this is good stuff. Uh, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by any opponents. It's a scary thing to be in a Roman prison. These are not, these are not constrained and nice people he's working with here. Right? There's, there's no rights in there for him. He's just in there. He's surrounded, right, by opposition. We've lived in Christendom for 
he really fancied Christendom for the last several thousand years. And so that creates a sense in the West that, you know, everyone's kind of going with the flow. People believe what we believe, they think what we think, and we're all kind of going with the flow, and everybody kind of abides. They might not believe Christianity, but we're okay here, right? Like, that's, that's the moral standard. The Ten Commandments is kind of the moral standard for everybody. Uh, we live in a time and a place where that is quickly and fastly waning, and it wakes us up to the reality that you're surrounded. You're surrounded. This is where we're at. We're surrounded. Christians in Florida are surrounded. Christians in Lebanon are surrounded. Christians in the United Arab Emirates are surrounded on all sides. We are surrounded, and the world does not want you to love Jesus. The world does not want you to believe the Bible, and the world does not want you to find the freedom that the gospel provides, and we are surrounded. You're surrounded. But what does Paul say? I'm not frightened. It's not cool to be surrounded, by the way. If you've ever been surrounded, it's not fun. There's no way out. You're surrounded, but what? I'm not frightened in anything. Paul, do you really mean anything? Because, I mean, I, I, can be, I can act tough, but I'm surrounded, right? But not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but your salvation, and from God, and that from God. So we're surrounded on all sides. That's where the church is. That's where the church has been. That's where the people of God have been uh, for pretty much forever. Right? Great, great answer to this problem in 2 Kings. What do they do? Everyone's surrounded. I think it's the Babylonians. They're coming. They go to God. They know they're going to lose. And they say, God, our hands are empty. We're surrounded. What are you going to do? God says, no problem. No problem. We, the reality is that we are surrounded. Uh, that we're feeling it right now. Right? You're surrounded. Disney's not going to make movies in your state anymore if you don't do these things we want you to do. Oh, no. Disney's not making movies in my state anymore. But the drumbeat is getting louder, and we're waking up to what's just already real. Paul felt it. The Philippians felt it. Their neighbors didn't like them. They didn't go to the, uh, the, Greek, the temples of the Greek gods anymore, and their neighbors are starting to say things about them. Uh, and soon they would start throwing them to lions, which is, by definition, being surrounded. But 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. What does he say? This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You've got me surrounded, but my reinforcements are quite superior to yours. Jesus there in front of Pontius Pilate. I can do what I'm going to do. Well, don't you know I could call angels down? We're only surrounded as far as the world's concerned. We will suffer, and we, they're, they're closing in, but the reality is that we know that help is on the way. 
That Jesus is returning to restore absolutely everything. Paul knows help is on the way. And Paul knows what they can do to him is take everything away. Which they have. They can take everything away. They can take all of your stuff away. All the things you have. They can take your food away. They can take your clothes away. They can take your house away. They can actually take it all away. We, we experience things like, oh, maybe you don't get the job. They can take it all away. They can't take Jesus away. And so when Paul stands there with everything taken away and says, live a life worthy of the gospel, he says so from the moral high ground, by the way. They can take it all away, but they can't take Jesus away. Take my life and let it be. They can't take it all away. And this is what happens, right? You read the first century martyr stories and you have these these young ladies of like 18 years of age will throw you to the lions. As long as you reject Jesus. So what? Take my life. I'll take Jesus. This is a sign of their destruction. That people would hold fast and stand firm, but of your salvation and that from God. For it is granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should suffer. Oh, pardon me. Uh, for it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Can I just believe? I don't really want to suffer. I, I like comfort. I don't, I don't like it when it's too cold in my house. And then I get irritated when I turn the heat on and it's too hot in my house. And I have heat in my house. That's not suffering. That's barely being uncomfortable. that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What is the conflict? Why do we suffer? We suffer for Christ. Take all my stuff. Give me Jesus. That's a blessing to you if you find yourself in that position. Take it all. I want Jesus. That you could say, take it. I want the king. We don't just suffer to suffer. We don't say, well, I'm a Christian. I should suffer. So, you know, I'm going to burn Monopoly, and I'll just play sorry I don't like sorry. I would have really preferred to play Monopoly, but I'm a Christian and Paul said I should suffer. Wrong. That's not what we're talking about here at all. He's saying you guys are being made very, very uncomfortable because you love Jesus and the world doesn't. And in the midst of that suffering, he has the audacity, the audacity to say, let your manner of life be worthy. Live as a citizen of this kingdom. Even though he tells them they're going to suffer for his sake nonetheless. So what does it mean then, according to Paul in Philippians, to live a life worthy? Or live the citizen kind of, a life worthy of the gospel. I think he'll continue to tell us. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any uh, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do not do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So for this next part to make any sense, you need to understand that Paul is leaning on something. That they already have what they need in Jesus. So to live a life, so kind of put your mind right there in thought, okay? So to live a life worthy of the gospel is to live a life focused on the gospel. And how does Paul focus their lives on the gospel? How does he get this response from them? How does he encourage them to live as this church? Right here. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So instead of saying, you're Christians, play nice. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, actually God, the second member of the Trinity, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or taken. When you read the Gospels and Paul's letters, you will see that the Trinity is in this interesting kind of what my friend Bill Clem calls a glory dogpile, where all of a sudden you have Jesus aiming to glorify the, the Father. No, no, no. You take the glory. You take the glory. You take the glory. And you see the Father, this is really clear in John's Gospel, glorifying the Son. Look at my Son. Look at my Son. Look at my Son. And you have the Father sending the Spirit, and the Spirit says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And they're in this sort of interesting to use Bill's really technical term, the glory dog pile, where they're, they're pointing to the, to the purity and the goodness of the other members of the Trinity, and God is glorifying himself uh, in this moment, and this is one of the ways that Jesus does it. By not counting equality with God, a thing to be grasped, which means somewhere at the foundations of the earth, as God is hatching the plan of redemptive history, Jesus doesn't say, don't you know that I'm the second member of the Trinity? An old rugged cross sounds horrible. Why doesn't the Spirit do it? He doesn't. He goes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. This is very important. Fantastic book on this subject is written by a guy named Bruce Ware, and it's called uh, The Man Christ Jesus. And the whole thesis is to point out that you must understand that Jesus was an actual human being. He was hungry, he cried, he was sad, he was lonely, he had friends who stabbed him in the back. All of these things happened so that when it says in Hebrews that he had to be made like his brother, brothers so you could relate to them in their weakness, that when you cry out to Jesus in your sin and your temptation and all these other things, that Jesus actually knows what you've been through and cannot just simply be sympathetic to you as God, but empathize uh, towards you as one who walked on this earth. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, because he did this thing that he did, this life, death, 
life and death of Jesus. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel is to have this reality of Jesus, the gospel, as the centerpiece of our entire being. It's interesting here, right? Paul doesn't say, play nice, be nice, you're Christians, and Christians are nice, do nice stuff to each other. If the reason you do Christian stuff is because you wear the label Christian, that's actually kind of empty. If it does not have the reality of Jesus behind it. If Christian is shorthand for lover and follower of Jesus, that is fine. That's what we are, and we take that label, and I, I you know... When people try and get rid of the label Christian for whatever silly reason, I, I just, I'm not unimpressed. We're Christians. But that means we love Jesus and we're responding to Jesus and living life because of Jesus. Which means the reason that I do kind things, love people, uh, do anything, is not because I'm a Christian, that's what I'm supposed to do. I do those things because Jesus took on human form, died on a cross to save me from my sins, and I'm responding to the reality of who he is. Paul's going to hit this again and again and again. We saw this in Ephesians, we'll see it in Colossians. It is the way it goes. Therefore, what's our interpretive key? What is the therefore, therefore? So because of this thing, this reality of Jesus, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why can Paul suffer in a prison and say, we should be rejoicing that we're suffering, and don't be afraid that you're surrounded? You're surrounded, don't be afraid. Well, because one of two things will happen. Either Jesus is going to come and vindicate the righteous by pouring out his justice on those who are against Jesus and his people, or those who are against Jesus will repent of their sin and the justice they deserve is put on the cross of Jesus Christ and they get welcomed into our family as Christians. Go with me to uh, Isaiah. We're in Isaiah. We're in chapter 45, verse 20. Isaiah 45, verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations, those who make it. They have no knowledge, who carry about their wooden idols and keep praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? What Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? A righteous God and Savior, there is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. Why does God swear to himself? Because there's no one higher to appeal to when you're atemporal, aspatial, omnipotent, uh, transcendent, and eminent. So he swears by himself. That happened with Abraham. For my mouth has gone out in righteousness, and a word that shall not return to me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Try and stay away from the footnotes in the preaching, but you'll see a little footnote if you're in the ESV. 
falls a footnote down and it says this, Septuagint, which is likely the, the Bible, that, the Greek translation of the Bible that Paul is quoting from here, says what? Every tongue shall confess God. So what Paul has done is taken this thing, this text that is so clearly, there are no other gods, there is one God, and everyone will bow their knee and, and confess to this God. And he said, by the way, that God's name is Jesus. If there's any question that Jesus is God, by the way, the jump from Philippians to Isaiah 45 is the one to walk through. Uh, in addition to that, those who would try and say, look, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and it's going to be awesome and everyone's going to get saved, right? Wrong. I, the, the text that he's taking from in Isaiah is just oh so clear. Uh, idolaters will be dealt with, but those who love the Lord will be saved. Back to Philippians. This is at the center of what we believe and how we operate. This is to live a life worthy of the gospel, is to have this truth of Jesus uh, at the center of everything we do. It's also important to live a life worthy of the gospel. It means that we must both take the comforts and the cautions that this truth affords us. What do I mean by that? This is both a comfort and a warning, simultaneously. I'll show you. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those who are, are right now cursing the name of Jesus or rejecting Jesus or whatever will bow the knee to the Lord. That day is coming, period. Everyone who ever lived will bow the knee to Jesus. There will be those of us who, upon seeing his face, bow our knee and confess with our lips, Messiah is here, he's come, he's putting it back, it's the way it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be the way it was supposed to be, and there are going to be those who bow the knee and say, oh, that's what they meant by Messiah. Oh, that's what they meant by God. Oh, oh. And he says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To live a life worthy of the gospel is to live in the comfort of the gospel. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is God who works in you for uh, 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 both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's at work in you, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's at work in me today. It doesn't feel like the day he's working. He is, if you love him. If you love him. But here's the caution. So, so Paul's going to say he's working in you. And you need to work it out with fear and trembling. Well, but Paul, you just said he's working in me. How does that work out? Here, here's what I think is happening. I think this is also how we deal with the Hebrews passages that are like this, which we don't have time to go to, won't go to, but you can look at them. Warnings in the Bible are always effectual for those who believe in the Lord. When those of us who love Jesus are pointed out that what you're doing and what the Bible says are different, we say, I love Jesus and I want to do what he says because I know he loves me. 
I know that's what the Bible says, and this is what I'm doing, and they're different, and I need to repent, and I need to change. In the life of the believer, by the power of the Spirit, as God is to working uh, uh, in his will and good pleasure, we change. But we also take that with fear and trembling. It is a terrible and awful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. He is holy, and we're to be holy. He is holy. But we do this knowing that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins. It's a both and at the same time. That's how it works. We take the cautions. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. Yes, hear it, listen, do it. We also take the comfort. Well, how do I know I'm going to make it? The comfort. God's at work in you. God's at work in us. A life worthy of the gospel is lived by faith in the gospel. Uh, Go with me to Philippians chapter uh, 3, starting verse 1. Finally, my brothers, and here's how you know that Paul is a preacher. How long is Philippians? Four chapters. Where's the finally, my brothers? The beginning of chapter 3. We're only halfway through the sermon. Finally, in closing, let's skip lunch. Let's do dinner. Maybe that's just me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul, you're in prison. I mean, I hate to keep saying it, but it's the truth. Paul, you're in prison. What do you mean rejoice in the Lord? Paul, you know he can bust you out. He busted Pete and John out. Why does he just bust you out? Angels showed up, busted them out. Right? Right. But it doesn't bust them out. I'm referencing Acts, by the way. Early chapters of Acts. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so he's talking about circumcision here at this point in time, which he's on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ going to, to equate there as mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory uh, in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So what's happening is there's people who are saying, okay, you guys, you Gentiles, you know, you, you guys, you can, be, you, can be, you can be in the team, team people of God, but you got to start following the rules. No bacon for you, and you're going to have to get circumcised. No bacon, and I have to get circumcised. Okay. And Paul's going to say, no, they're putting their confidence in the wrong place. They're putting their confidence uh, in the things that, we, that they do. And even the Old Testament looks forward to a time when the circumcision wouldn't be an outside circumcision. It would be an inside circumcision of the heart. Uh, by the way, this is why we baptize grown-ups. People who baptize babies equate circumcision with baptism, but baptism's not the, the uh, equative thing to... Baptism doesn't equal circumcision. In the new covenant, circumcision equals circumcision of heart. Outside becomes inside. And here are these things that Paul says. Listen to this. I mean, listen to this as we think about living a life worthy of the gospel. Because because saying that we're living a life worthy of the gospel isn't where I give you a pep talk and you leave here and say, i got to try really much harder to live a life worthy of the gospel. What do I I start doing to do this? We'll get there. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If you think you are awesome, let me tell you how awesome I am and what I've done for God and why God should love me because of the things that I've done. 
the remix. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, we did it right, on the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, I even know what tribe I'm in, Paul's saying. At the other end of several exiles, some people would know that they were Jews but didn't know what tribe they were a part of. Paul's saying, I am from a clean lineage and line. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am legit. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I love God so much I came after heretics. Turns out they weren't heretics. Whoops. They were Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He did everything that the law required. But whatever gain I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever you have to put forward that says that you are awesome, whatever credential you can put on your resume, whatever piece of paper you can hang on your wall, whatever money is in your bank account, whatever uh, uh, earning bracket you find yourself in, whatever part of town your house is in, how awesome you are at, uh, you know, whatever. I count all as loss for Jesus. Everything I can offer is nothing compared to him. I count all things as loss. I count all things as nothing. I count them all as zero. And Paul's got more room to brag than any of us about anything, according to the Old Testament. For, this, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What do you want to take from me if it means I get Jesus? Or what thing do I have that if I give it up, I don't get Jesus? I don't want it. I want Jesus. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Because none of it equals anything. It comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What makes you right and righteous with the God of the universe? One name, Jesus. It's so unfair that some people try so hard to do so many things. Well, life's not fair. Honestly, neither is the gospel. The gospel's not about equity. It's not about you trying to put your good works on the scale with God because honestly, when it comes down to that kind of equity, we find ourselves all in trouble because we put the scale, on one side of the scale, we put God in his perfection and holiness and you put all your works on that other side of the scale and they do not even out. We're dependent on, and this is not the name of a space rock band, we're dependent on alien righteousness. By alien, I mean righteousness that is not our own, imputed upon us, given to us as a gift. A life lived worthy of the gospel, reflecting the gospel, being of the gospel, is a life lived in faith, saying I'm completely empty-handed and 100% dependent on God. Uh, A life worthy of the gospel is life in Christ, pursuing Christ. Paul's not manic here. He's just putting it all together. So here is the deal. You are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. You right now are completely right with God. And if our response to that is, cool, what time do we meet? 10.30? That's mighty early. I think I'll sleep in next Sunday. Right? Or, well, if I don't have to do anything, I'm just going to go wild out and do other stuff. It actually misses the whole point. If I find out that, that 
that Jesus has given me everything, then Jesus is my everything, and all I want to do is pursue him. Here's how Paul works that out. This is a life worthy of the gospel. So he finishes his idea, that I may know him. Oh, I'm so sorry. You, you missed like one of the most important verses in the world. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. By any means possible, I may attain life with God forever. And then Paul says, perhaps for those of us here on earth, some of the most encouraging stuff. Now remember, this is Paul. He's like a super apostle. Well, he's not really. Like they knocked him for his printing. But he's Paul, right? He's Paul. He's in prison telling us that we should like, not worry about the air conditioning and just buck up and live for the gospel. Right? And we're sitting here in our comfortable chairs, not in prison, listening to Paul say these things. We say, okay, you're awesome, Paul. What does Paul say? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Well, Paul, if you've not made it, when will we arrive? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forget what, brothers, I uh, uh, forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday's sins and yesterday's accomplishments are gone. That's how time works. That was yesterday, and we don't have a time machine. All we have what's ahead of us. Your life was a mess yesterday. Hey, your life might be a mess right now. We forget what lies behind and we strive on what's ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you might otherwise, God will reveal that also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. To live in a life uh, worthy, a manner worthy of the gospel is to hang on to Jesus and keep walking forward. Do not let go and keep putting one foot in front of the other. But how am I going to get there? Don't worry about that right now. Get up. Put one foot down. Pick up the other foot. Put the next foot down, pick up the other foot, put that down. You kind of get the idea from there, but you just keep doing that until we're in glory. We hang on to Jesus, and we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that is what we do. Pursuing Jesus with everything we've got. Are you after him? Are you reading your Bible because you think you're supposed to? Are you reading your Bible? Are you looking for Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you, you putting your life and getting after him in everything? 
Are you pursuing how the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ breaks out into your work and in your life and in your family and in your habits and in your, in your everything? Do you care? Is this a hobby? Are we after him with everything we've got? Are we willing when there's that season of dryness in our prayer life where just we're just saying what we think we're supposed to say and we're going to keep going? We're going to do something about it? We're going to call out to him? We're going to forget what lies behind? We're going to strive on to what lies ahead? Now, what's amazing about all of this, the suffering and the perseverance and the endurance, what is so clear from Philippians is that a life lived uh, for the gospel and worthy of the gospel is a life now, there are those that would approach the book of Philippians and say, well, when Paul says joy, he doesn't really mean joy. He just means, you know, like the comfort that you have, you know, you're going to be with Jesus someday, and then there'll be joy. There's a problem with that. You know what the problem with that is? Have you read Philippians? It's not what Paul says at all. Because what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4, in the imperative, I might add, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember where he's sitting when he writes that. Rats crawling on his feet or whatever. And just so we're clear, verse 4 of chapter 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Again? He's being clear. Skip down with me to verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me because he's in a Roman prison. May have a good reason to be concerned for him, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. Hey, I get it, guys. I'm in jail. You care about me? I'm moved by that. Don't send me a care package. I'm okay. That's what he's saying. That's his, it's between the lines, but it's there. Uh, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. He's kind of covering a lot of bases, isn't he? Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice High, low, every circumstance. You have it in front of you, right? Like this, isn't, this isn't hard to say. It's, it's there. It means the same thing in Greek that it means in English. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Wait, Paul, did you say the secret of facing plenty? This is when you got to read your Bible slowly. It's dangerous to live in plenty if we are not careful. When we're in plenty and we're experiencing blessing and stuff, sometimes we don't realize how much we need Jesus even when we have, as far as the world's concerned, everything. Living in 2016 in America is a dangerous thing. 
I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Wait a second, Paul. Verse 13, I I thought this was about basketball or uh, a Christian school cross country. This is different. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can can face abundance. I, I can face wealth. I can face a full stomach and know that all of these things came from the Lord and they are just vapor. And I can face empty and need and suffering knowing that the Lord of the universe has not forgotten me in any of it. He is with me in all of it. I am his child and so are you. I know how to be brought low and I know how to bound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This joy changes our life. Back up in verse 4, right after it says this, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's coming. Do not be anxious about anything. Fifteen times, so I have to keep reminding you. The guy sitting in the prison is saying, "Don't be anxious about anything." There are rats and spiders in prison in Rome. We live in Seattle. We have rats. I don't know if you know that. It's like number seven for rats. Rats are creepy, and I don't like them. And you're in a prison with rats. I would be anxious about the rats. They carry the plague. Not be anxious about anything, but in everything. He's using this. Oh, Paul, he's using these words again. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Paul, cut me a break and give me the caveat and say, don't be anxious about anything except for when life is really, really hard. And hear this. But in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What the word supplication mean? means to supply. It means you have a need that God can supply. You got a problem? Solve it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is urging this church to live a life worthy of the gospel, focused on the gospel, getting after Jesus with absolutely everything with joy. This is countercultural. Perhaps our three most popular religions right now are karma, hedonism, maybe monolithic tolerance. We live in a society where everything's built on you getting what you need right now. Amazon makes this sermon illustration so easy every time. When you just think that it can't be more convenient that they'll bring you a book, they'll start bringing you everything else. Why do I need everything else? Don't I have a store for everything else? Didn't I have a store for books? I thought I had a store for books, but I don't remember that store anymore because Amazon brings them to my house in a week. You remember that? Back all those years ago when you ordered and it took like a week? No, 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 we'll get it to you in two days. No, 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 we'll get it to you today. No, no, we'll bring it to you that day. Hey, we'll think, make a thing on your phone so you can have it right now. 
You can order something, drive to your house right now, and it will be there. Why do you need someone to bring you stuff at your house right now? You don't. But it scratches an itch, doesn't it? We are pleasure-loving people. We are trained in America to hate discomfort on every situation, in everything we do. We don't like it. We like pleasure. We like hedons. We like things to go so well. But the problem with that is that it always dries up. There is a level in which it no longer works. You watch The Office every episode all the way through. And then you watch it with the commentary. And then you watch it again, and you watch it again, and you watch it. And it turns out it stops being as funny. And actually, honestly, there's a lot of pretty, you just keep watching like, Wait, that's like not even, that's unholy. Why am I laughing at that? That's not God. You're watching, there's a diminishing law and returns on everything. Everything on planet Earth has a diminishing law of returns, which means it's fun that one time, and then it's less fun, and it's less fun, and it's less fun. Bubblegum ice cream is awesome. And then it's, a, it's pretty awesome, and it's still pretty awesome, but, you know, two or three hundred ice cream cones later into bubblegum ice cream, you're like, well, maybe I'll try salted caramel. 25 all of a sudden, I've been eating bubblegum ice cream for 15 years. Maybe it's time for something new. The diminishing law of returns. Cotton candy, that first bite. It's amazing. And then you eat the whole thing, and you're sick, and then you go to the tilt world and everything goes south. Quite literally. Why can Paul say rejoice and rejoice always? How is it that we live... Uh, in this life worthy. We're enjoying Jesus for everything he's got. We're living this life in his grace and mercy. Uh, we're, we're living this life in his gospel and after him, and it's the only thing that doesn't have a diminishing law of return. It's the, Jesus is the only thing that doesn't come up empty. And so then we can pursue him, and we can pursue him, and we can pursue him more. We can live this life Focus on the gospel. Let your manner, manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this, then it's suddenly this life with Jesus at the center. And I'm letting the reality of the gospel keep me on straight. And the manner of my life comes together as it's lived by faith, as I'm pursuing Jesus for joy, ultimate joy. If you don't know him, he forgives, he loves, he saves. He redeems. He frees. Know him. It's the gospel. If you're here, and you know I'm not after him. You're right. What Paul's saying here, of living a life worthy of the gospel, enduring suffering, with Jesus at the center, pursuing Jesus with everything I've got, finding joy in all things, Submitting my life, submitting all my prayers to him, with, with, submitting all my needs to him without anxiety and prayer and supplication, that's, that's not it at all. Yes, I'm a Christian, but that doesn't sound like me. Well, why not? Honestly, I think a lot of times we can hear something like that and say, yeah, I'd like to get after Yeah, either A, it's for Paul. Super saints get after Jesus that way. Or B, I'll get to it on Tuesday. I'll get to it on Wednesday. You know, I'm, it's Sunday. You know, I'd really like to start reading my Bible more often. And I'd really like to pray, pray more earnestly. But I was supposed to meet somebody for pizza. And then, you know, I got some homework to do. 
and then I gotta sleep. And I gotta work tomorrow. I'm not really sure what my evening looks like, but I think there's a new show on. Maybe I'll set my alarm on Tuesday. Tuesday's when I'll start getting after Jesus. The problem with this is that when that is our mentality, I don't think you actually heard anything Paul said. You heard the words on the page that Jesus set aside his divine rights and entered into human history, but you didn't understand them. You don't understand who he is. You don't understand what he's done for you. You don't understand what he will do for you. Have this mind among yourselves, which is already yours. It's yours in Christ. It's for you. There's nothing more important than getting after Jesus. Cancel the pizza meeting. Don't go to bed. Would you call in sick? You don't have to. If everyone calls in sick, don't say that I'll give your boss a note for you calling in sick. But is it more important than work? Is it more important than pizza? Is it more important than sleep? Count all things as loss. Are we willing to count all things as loss? If not, why not? And if you are, if you're in pursuit, if you're in pursuit of Jesus, if you're saying with Paul, not that I've already attained this, but, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me own. What do we do? Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep seeking his face in the scripture. Keep praying your guts out. Keep encouraging people. Keep sharing the gospel. It's a simple life that we're always looking for something more. Give me something more than the gospel. Give me something more than reading my Bible. Give me something more than prayer. Why? We don't need it. We need Jesus. The means of grace that he's given us in his pursuit. Keep going and help other people. Help other people. What Paul, Paul's helping people from prison. You can disciple somebody at a coffee shop in Seattle. Good night. You're not in prison. And if you find yourself in prison, there's a lot of people there to disciple. But we keep going. What do we do if this is what we want? What do we do if this isn't me and I want it? Let the manner of your life be worthy. Do it. Get after it. Enjoy it. Enjoy him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we want you. I, I want you. I, I want to know your word so deeply and so passionately that I'm after it till the end of my life. The, the, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is not utterances of frustration, but the truth of the Scripture. Let our, let our speech be saturated in the truth of who you are. Let the way we talk be informed about what you've told us about yourself and how you've revealed yourself to us. Let us get after you as a church. Help, help us to help each other carry each other along towards the endless prize of the glory. I pray that for the children in this church, they would be people that are after the gospel. I pray for us together, we would be people that are after 
you and all that you've done. Please help us to that end, Jesus. We love you. Praise things in your name. Amen. Uh, when you're ready, we'll take communion together. This is for Christian people. Uh, on the far side, we have gluten-free. In the middle, we have regular bread. Uh, then we have juice and the wine. Uh, we do this remembering Jesus' body broken and blood shed for us, the forgiveness of our sins, the reality that God did, in fact, come into human history and die on that cross as a servant. And that the whole reason we're after him, the whole reason we're trying to make him our own, is because he's already made us his own. And so we take this cup as a, as a celebratory acknowledgement that through that cross, he has made us his own. And so we turn from the things of the world that try and make us its own, and we turn to Jesus in, repent in repentance, and we take this and we celebrate. We have a lot to sing about and to celebrate and to rejoice in. Because if you are a Christian, the whole pursuit of your life is in the fact that he's already made you his own. He's already working his will and good pleasure in your life. So whenever you're ready, 